A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 238 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, Mark Erlman, and with me like a galaxy of adventures waiting for Star Wars fans to check out, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P, father of Cade Butler! Hey, everybody. That was almost like a Klingon name, though, wasn't it? Did we just jump franchises there? You know, you know Nathan, father of Cade. Kapla! And all that kind of stuff. that make Cade son of Nathan? <laughs> yes, exactly. Cade, son of Dork. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, lo- I love the, uh, the the video you shared on Facebook last night of you and him watching The Last Jedi. That was so damn yeah. adorable. So, I mean, obviously he doesn't talk yet, right? I mean, he's he's three months old as of yesterday. So um, uh, he started to vocalize, though. He doesn't do just the short little ah kind of thing again uh, like he used to. Now he's at that point where he will just go. Like he's he has too much of his father in him. He talks and doesn't stop. Uh, but when he does, it's it's kind of stuff, right? I mean, it sounds kind of like a baby version of R two D two. So he's seen a new hope. He's seen Empire. He's seen Solo. He's seen some Resistance. And I know he's not going to remember any of it. But I wanted to rewatch Last Jedi because I've been doing these mini Q&A videos for my YouTube channel where it's kind of like trying to get them out faster. So it's a few questions at a time and it's uh, it's a much more informal kind of setup and that sort of thing. But uh, one of the questions that got asked, as is always asked, is what's your preference order for the films? And I I had rewatched Rogue One recently and was thinking maybe that's beating out Last Jedi for me now. I need to rewatch Last Jedi. So I pop in Last Jedi so that I can watch it and, and he can watch it too. And he's laying there, and partway through the film, he just starts like a running commentary on what's happening. <laughs> Nobody knows what he's saying. But he's like, uh, uh, uh. it's like, live free, don't join. It's like, oh! <laughs> like, okay, awesome. So I, I captured that as best I could. Um yeah, one thing I'll say for, you know, 4K TVs and, and modern, you know, recording technology, you could actually see what was on the TV as he was reacting to it. I remember back to the days where you might have tried that when I was a kid and trying to, you know, get the TV screen in there and have the real, the the scrolling lines and stuff across yeah. it because of the way that the uh, the old projection t- or the old uh, tube TVs worked and everything. Capture um, rates. But yeah, so we're <laughs> capturing little little bits and pieces like that um, it'll be curious when he's older to find out what he remembers because i i remember like was at 18 15 18 and i watched heavy metal and it was like an oh my god epiphany i mean i remember being two 
Like, I don't remember that I was two. I was talking to my mom about it after the fact, and she was like, you remember that? You were only two at the time. I'm like, no, I remember being at Michael Morrow's house, and we were in the downstairs, and there was this naked lady on, like, a big lizard bird. And I didn't remember any of this, but then I was watching Heavy Metal, and I'm like, that's that. Like, I thought I was having these weird dreams all this time. No, <laughs> I, I was so watching long. Heavy Metal. His mom. <laughs> yeah, I'll be curious uh, to no, see I mean, what he we'll thinks. See. It'll be interesting because um, as a parallel to that, and I've talked about this on on various shows and stuff over the years, I don't remember it. But according to my mom, she took me to see The Empire Strikes Back in theaters. I remember going with her to see Return of the Jedi. For Empire, I would have to have been only a few months older than Kate is now. Wow. So in essence, we're having a similar experience. It's just that mine was in the theater, and I would never do that to any poor moviegoers these days. Uh, I would not. I would not want my baby crying in the middle of a movie to interrupt some asshat's telephone conversation while he's in the. Um, that would be unfortunate for all involved. <laughs> a vicious, vicious circle, man. A vicious circle. I love it. stars beyond the films we ask the tough questions questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that perplexed you off and on will Cade remember well you ponder about star wars and so do we this episode we invite you into the studio to answer your questions your ponders once again you are the star now consider that your spoiler warning beyonders and sentience of all ages because here we go on another adventure beyond the films So we collected these over a fairly limited amount of time. So we have a couple of emails that we'll take a look at, but we also have a review that we want to delve into because it – I think it was meant to be an attack. I mean it's obviously meant to be an attack. It's obviously meant to be a middle finger to us and so on. Uh, it's obviously meant to be a you suck type of thing. But coupled with some responses we got – I guess it was what, two or three years ago I would say? Uh, whenever it was that Aftermath came out. Coupled with some of those responses – I think it's actually kind of cool because it gives us the sense that we must be doing something right because we're taking flack from both sides on the political spectrum. Right. Um, it's not a political show, but we make it a point to discuss Star Wars in sort of a bigger context. It's not just about the stories themselves because um, the writers, uh, the directors, the actors, uh, the storylines oftentimes are influenced by what's going on around us. And good sci-fi often reflects the world around us. Good art does. Good sci-fi often has allegories and whatnot. Um, you mm -hmm. can see Lucas basing things on uh, reactions to Vietnam, uh, Lucas basing things on, say, um, World War II, and then you've got uh, the way that the war on terrorism influenced the writing, especially of Revenge of the Sith, as opposed to Attack of the Clones. And uh, definitely New not Jedi Vietnam. Order. And, yeah. and New Jedi Order, absolutely. Um, and how the tonal shift kind of took place, and then you've got um, the whole neo-Nazi growing from Nazism thing that you sort of see with the First Order growing out of the Empire and where the allegories are pulled there. Um, it makes for some interesting things. Plus, we wind up discussing things about Star Wars that are on the publishing end, like, um, you know, what's going on at Lucasfilm, what's going on with Disney Lucasfilm Press, or what's going on over there at Del Rey, and so on, uh, what's going on at Marvel. So having that broader context means that, of course, we're going to wind up getting into topics that have political aspects to them, particularly given the fact that my bent in particular is that I'm a teacher of social studies stuff, which means history, economics, and political science stuff. So 
um, it's not a political podcast, but we don't shy away from making those bigger connections because I think that makes for more interesting discussion. Well, I think anybody coming in that doesn't realize your background would be misinterpreting some of the things you say because they don't realize that that's, you know, by by teaching that by nature, you remove yourself from the passion in it. You just you want to educate. And so to use those examples to further the education of what we're doing here, that it just comes natural to you. But if they don't understand that that's where you're coming from, they're like, oh, he's just trying to push a political cause. It's like that's not what you're doing, (laughs) which is what brings up this particular review. And and we've had some great folks who, after this review was posted with a one star on iTunes, have come in with their own reviews that are a little more fair to the show um, that showed they've actually you know listened to more than one episode. But I'm not sure if this is an instance of the person only listening to one episode, which was our last feedback episode. It probably is that case. Um, and it's hard to tell if this is a person who simply doesn't understand the context didn't listen to context, didn't listen to the episode and was told what was in it by someone else without actually having the context in it, or if this is someone with more of like a political agenda trying to push an idea, or if what we're seeing is what I think is probably the most likely, which is this idea that these days it's very much an Anakin Skywalker, you're either with us or against us, you know, you're either with me or you're my enemy kind of Mm -hmm. discussion, where if there are two sides, two extreme sides on an issue politically, and you talk about the issue in an intellectually honest way that acknowledges both sides and just discusses the nuances and the interesting parts of it without necessarily taking a side or excoriating one side or another. One side is going to say, you didn't fully take my side. You didn't destroy the other side. Therefore you must be of the other side. Yeah. Like there can't be a third option rather than extreme right or extreme left. There, There's no room in there for, oh, you just find this stuff interesting to discuss, right? It's all black uh, and white. There's no gray! Right, exactly, exactly. So in that sense, I'm wondering if this is kind of what we saw. I and mean, we see that in the fan community too, right? You know, if you're talking about Last Jedi, you bring up – put it this way. On my YouTube channel, um, from the Star Wars Home Video Library, I've done episodes on you know all the various new releases, including Solo and The Last Jedi. And in doing – in doing – Video reviews of the home video products of those releases at all, you draw attack and dislikes or thumbs down or whatever on YouTube, not because of the content of what you're doing. These are people who, for the most part, are going in there seeing that it's about Last Jedi or about Solo and just hitting the you know the thumbs down button without actually watching anything. Um, it's a knee jerk reaction, but it's a oh, unless you're ripping it apart, unless you are are dedicating this video to destroying the other point of view than mine and lifting up mine, then you must be of the other side. And I hate you. I excoriate you, et cetera. It's just, or, it's, or it's unfortunate. Like, I'm not going to spend my money. And since I can't, I can't tell them how angry I am. I'm also going to give them thumbs down to just add to my anger. <laughs> right. So here's what the review was, but I want to take it point by point because, I mean, I guess it's probably preaching to the choir here because if you're constantly listening to the show, you know it's BS, but at the same time, you also would not be someone who would let this particular review wind up coloring your opinion of the show or, or, or making the decision on whether to listen at all. I would hope that others would see the positive reviews, think of this one as an outlier, and still try out the show if they just happen to run into it on iTunes, but they wouldn't be listening to this at all. But I find it found this an interesting thing, particularly given the counterpoint – that I want to mention that I don't know that we really ever had a chance to talk about because I think it was right as we were getting into a heavy recording and then dead time kind of thing at the end of a year. Um, But, okay, so you know it's going to be special when the headline or whatever you want to call it, the subject line for the review is right-wing stooges. Mm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Exactly. We both went to the same place. Exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, Larry, Curly, and Moe. And I'm wondering if the Larry in, in the Larry, Curly, and Moe actually winds up having a crossover. Maybe he's one of the Larry, Daryl, and Daryl that we saw back in uh, Thrawn Alliances uh, for a callback to that last episode. But the review goes. This is theoretically a Star Wars podcast, but you're complaining about Roseanne getting fired and those Parkland teens speaking out about gun violence. You're even inventing psychotic imagery scenarios or imaginary scenarios wherein you might have to use lethal force to defend yourself from an angry listener. Maybe just transition to some Trump-loving political pod instead of hiding behind both sides' arguments to defend toxic Star Wars fans, both sides there being in quotes. Um, so taking this apart. This is theoretically a Star Wars podcast. Why, yes. Yes, it is a Star Wars podcast. But as I said, I, I you know, think, I think that's thing. not a theory, though. I think we've proven that we're a no, Star that's, Wars that's podcast. True. That is true. That is true. Wait, would that make someone who believes it's not a Star Wars podcast a podcast denier? Possibly. <laughs> um, so just, just a thought. Um, oh, my God. I, was but no, on that. But I will say, though, I will say I think that if this person only listened to the review, the uh, last feedback episode, there was a lot of broader societal stuff tied into Star Wars in that feedback episode, much more than if it's an episode when we're talking about a particular book or comic or movie or something like that. So I could see I could see that sort of, you know, where why is there stuff other than just Star Wars on the show? I mean, surely it's not called, you know, beyond the films or anything. Well, and I was trying uh, to think like Roseanne. That that had to have been in comment to the the Chuck tweets, right? Because no, I don't actually. Well, I, it, it, that was actually before Chuck Wendig did anything. Um, oh, wow. So he said we're complaining about Roseanne getting fired and the Parkland teens speaking out. Apparently, he didn't understand the context in which those were brought up because we weren't complaining about either of those things. I think we would both agree that Roseanne went beyond the pale. I think we would both agree that the Parkland teens have every right to speak out about their experiences um, in what happened there. What we brought those up in, the context in which we brought those up, though, was that someone was asking about whether or not Pablo Hidalgo should get fired from Lucasfilm oh, yeah. because of some comments that he made basically about toxic fandom. And um, it was br it, we brought it up in the sense that this is a thing where, you know, these days there are blurred lines between what is like your personal social media versus when you are representing a company – and what legal grounds exist when it comes to a company being able to fire someone? Um, is there such a thing as freedom of speech in that in that realm? We talked about how, you know, when it comes to employment, unless there's something in your contract, um, you know, it's kind of an at will thing. You know, they can fire you at any time if you're making the company look bad and that sort of thing in most cases, especially if there's a morals clause and all that kind of stuff. So we're actually kind of explaining why Roseanne was able to be fired, um, similar to the Duck Dynasty guy, you know, on uh, – you know, years ago, but put that in the context of Pablo Hidalgo and how Pablo, for a long time, his personal Twitter was where he would answer questions about Star Wars in his capacity as a member of the story group. It wasn't yeah. his professional Twitter. It wasn't a work-related Twitter per se, but people used it to ask those questions so it had that effect of looking like it was and seeming like it was and perhaps de facto being that. Yeah, and here's an authoritarian and he's putting out answers, so therefore they must be correct. Right. So then does that mean that what he says there reflects on his job and that it should have any connection to whether or not as a representative of Lucasfilm, he should not be able to make those comments or he should be booted and whatever. So it wasn't complaining about Roseanne getting fired. It was using that as a re very recent high profile example of where social media lines are being blurred between what is work, what is personal, um, what is and isn't across the line for people in, in public facing positions when espousing you know things that could piss people off. 
the Parkland teens thing, again, it didn't understand the context, apparently. What we were talking about was the idea of unearned expert status. The idea that we have to be careful when we're getting sources of information on anything, whether it's Star Wars or anything else, to make sure that we are drawing from reputable sources, right? Uh, uh, You know, oh my gosh, you know, they're making a a Kenobi movie that's that's gonna be uh, headed by Lucas. You know, well, you know, show me some actual facts from a reputable source, and I'll I'll believe it. I Uh, read it on on Super Shadow, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, whatever the new version of Super Shadow is. I don't even know, remember the guy's name. It's like a new version of Super Shadow out there. But we, what we brought up was this idea of um, how after the shooting, these were kids who had gone through something horrific and could very easily have an important message to share about the experience they went through and and what it was like being involved in a school shooting, the chaos of it, what it was like in the school afterwards in particular. How do you how do you have your school get over that uh, and be able to move on at all and that sort of thing? But how on the flip side to that, you did have some who were out there essentially putting weight into policy proposals from those same people who didn't actually have any policy expertise, knowledge wise, research wise on those issues but simply had a personal experience that was horrific that can help drive the discussion on those issues and should drive the discussion on those issues. But being someone who is in the midst of a school shooting that managed to survive doesn't automatically make you an expert on gun control, firearm safety, school safety, et cetera, and those types of legislative policies any more than me getting into a wreck that totaled my Kia Rio what, a year ago or whatever and going through the insurance process with that makes me all of a sudden an expert on insurance, uh, motor vehicle safety, um, uh, city planning, uh, traffic law, anything like that. It might inspire you to become an expert in a particular field. And I would imagine that most of the people from Parkland who are still speaking out at this point have made it a point to educate themselves as much as possible on the issues um, so they can be effective advocates out there. But the issue, the example was brought up in this idea that we tend to confer unearned expert status on people because of experiences related to issues of policy, not actual policy knowledge themselves. Um, you know, if I get robbed, I'm not all of a sudden a criminal justice expert. I'm just <laughs> someone who can talk about that experience and, and draw from that. No, they always run out the door to the right because that's what I saw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, But I mean, so we weren't complaining about them speaking out, but we were bringing up the idea that, you know, uh, you have to make sure that when you're listening to something, you know, you're sort of weighing the source and the level of expertise on a particular subject before you decide what to take for granted, what to look more into and that sort of thing. That You have to be intellectually honest about it um, because, you know, society right now is filled with a lot of intellectual dishonesty where we want to listen to what agrees with us, not listen to like in this case, probably not listen to that which actually bears facts and so forth. Let's see. Inventing psych, uh, psychotic imaginary scenarios where you might have to use lethal force to defend yourself from an angry listener. I've talked about this before. I don't think I've ever talked about it in detail. But let's rewind. What I talked about was that we, part of the reason we own a firearm, one of the reasons we own a firearm is protection due to some threats that I receive. Now, there are other reasons. One – it's a standalone house. We're not in an apartment complex anymore, and there's no gate around it. Therefore, it's a more vulnerable position theoretically as a standalone house. I have a wife and child now to protect. Wife at the time we recorded that and child on the way um, to protect. 
we do actually have some background um, of it's been almost 10 years ago of there being a contract out on my wife's life. Thankfully, everybody involved in that is behind bars at this point. And yeah, um, you heard that right. Yes, you heard that right. Um, an ex of hers whose father happened to have some pretty questionable ties, we'll call it that, decided that uh, if she wasn't going to have a child with him and he couldn't have a child because of something he did to himself as a result of them breaking up, yeah, um, she was never going to be able to have a life either. And, you know, we got some other – we got an ex of mine that constantly for years was harassing my wife and thankfully has, has dropped off on that the last few months. There are other, other things out there that could be perceived as potential threats. But the specific example I was talking about was how people will get threats because people take this stuff way too seriously, the, the Star Wars stuff way too seriously. I talked about – I was a very early advocate uh, after the Disney reboot of how you could care about whichever continuity you wanted to. You didn't have to pick one. You could like both. You could like one, the other. Neither. You could like bits and pieces of either of them because it's all a matter of personal preference. I mean, you can't yeah. go out there and say, you know, Lucasfilm doesn't consider the Disney stuff to be canon. Legends is still the authoritative continuity of Star Wars because that's not true from a creative standpoint of actually what's going on with Lucasfilm and the publishing line. Um, but what you like, that's totally your call. But after some pretty harsh comments uh, and posts were made, um, one of which I've talked about on the show before, about me supposedly being a Disney shill or being on Disney's payroll because I deigned to tell people you could like whatever the hell you wanted. Um, I got a couple of pretty heavy threats. A lot of people just, you know, cussing me out and stuff like that, delete the email, whatever. Um, you know, as the as the song uh, Opinion Rhapsody says, they're a douche, they're a douche, I will shortly unfollow, or in this case, hit the delete <laughs> button. Um, but then you get the threats that come in there's only one or two. I'm imagining it's probably the same person under aliases, mm -hmm. right? Other two different email addresses. Um, but then you get the threats that include – because I've never been shy about talking about the fact that I – of where I teach uh, and, and where approximately in the country I live and so forth. I mean it's been brought up. If you want to find it, you can find it. That yeah. um, when you receive threats that include your wife's name, her place of work, your place of work – and a photograph, probably taken from a real estate website, I'd imagine, of your house threatening you with grievous bodily harm or death for your opinions on effing Star Wars? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That person must be unhinged to get to that point, even if it's meant as a scare tactic and not something that is meant to be an actual threat that would be carried out. That is yet another reason to have a firearm. And – if you are someone who can say that if someone came in and tried to do bodily harm uh, or kill or rape or whatever, um, you or a member of your family, your wife, your child, if you are someone who can say, I would never resort to lethal force in a situation like that, you're full of crap or you've never been married or had a child. So, yeah, if so, it, you try to come and and invade our home you try to do something that's going to try to uh to end my life or my wife's or my child's or something you can bet i'm going to put you down and that's part of why it's there but it's the same as if someone was breaking in the house trying to do the same thing it had nothing to do with fandom it was a it was bringing up the example as how extreme some of the toxicity in fandom has gone 
um, when that kind of thing happens. And it's not entirely new. I mean, Salvatore was getting death threats for, quote unquote, killing Chewbacca years ago. But it's it's over the top now um, because you see it more often. You see the threats against Kelly Marie Tran and so forth. So uh, a psychotic imaginary scenario. God, I wish it was a psychotic imaginary scenario. I wish I had never gotten those threats. Yeah, psychotic scenario, it definitely was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Psychotic, yes. Not in my head, but in this person's head. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you've got a wife and child, and your own life for that matter, if you're receiving threats of any kind, you should probably make sure that you're aware of how the laws work when it comes to self-defense within your particular state or county or whatever it might be. Uh, and do what you need to do to make sure that you are safe. My guess is if somebody tried to bust in here or something, our security system would scare them off. That got one of those great simply safe systems. That's fantastic, easy, modular, nice stuff. But you know, if that doesn't scare them off, I'm not someone who's going to say, you know, I'll wait the the wait time for the police to actually show up mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't take that long to get across our home. It's not like we live in a mansion. Yeah. Uh, we we need to have some way to defend ourselves. And I wonder, given the political bent of the person who is speaking here, because it's obvious that this person is someone on the far political left who thinks we're on the far political right and is raging about that or attacking yeah. about that. I wonder if I said instead of saying we had a firearm for that, if I said I have a bat sitting by the door, <laughs> if I said I have a katana sitting here, would he be this pissed off? Or thinking it's psychotic imaginary scenarios, or is it is it Possibly. the fact that it's a gun issue as opposed to a other type of self defense issue? Is that what tweaked this guy's um, response? I don't know. I, I uh, think this guy's got an envision of what he thinks we sit politically one way or the. I mean, you know, you, you talk about the defense thing. Like I was just uploading all the photos off my phone. Like I I've kept about 280 shots of my studio in my phone. Just so when I'm at a, a, a scouting event or at work or someone brings it up and they go, oh, you're a Star Wars fan. And I can bring it up and be like, yeah, what do you think? Uh, but it takes a lot of space. So I finally – I cleared that off and I made a public post on my Facebook page. And I you know, and I posted all the pictures on that. And one of the shots was an outside shot of our garage doors. And I deleted that one because I thought, you know, I don't really need them to, to know exactly where in my house you know, my studio is at. It's pretty obvious where it's at already. But – so I deleted that one picture and my wife was still like, I don't I don't like you posting that publicly so everyone can see what all you have so they can come and rob us. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't think about that. Like, I mean, I, I thought about it for a second when I saw the outside photo and I deleted that. But I thought, well, you know, but but the, the threat is there. I mean, it's not an imaginary scenario. It's just one that may be less likely to happen to everybody. But there are people getting robbed all the time. And. What we're doing, the nature of putting ourselves out there online like this, it does make it easier for us to become targets per se. Not that I feel like I'm being targeted. You've been clearly targeted a few times. Um, and, and I think some of this may even be targeted at you because, like, you know, maybe just transition to some Trump loving political pod. I, for one, have said from the beginning, I've never been a fan of Trump as a person before he ever got in the political side of things. Fake I have news. always thought that guy Fake was a news. douchebag. And, and so. The farther we've gotten into his political era, I, I went in it going, maybe he'll do something that in four years I'll want to reelect him. That was that was my hope. But every time he opens his mouth, I'm just like, oh, my God, like 
he does not come across as a dignified person. He does not come across as someone I should respect. And I have nothing but loathing for the man. So I just find the fact that someone thinks that we're Trump loving over here is just hilarious. Cause like, clearly I've kept my, my disdain for that person well unchecked because like, I, I feel like I'm open about that. Like I'll post things on Facebook and like, Oh, you're hating on him again. It's like, I've always said I hated this guy. I can't believe that Americans voted this D bag in office. Like that was the best that we had. But then again, the options that we had were crap going in. So, but, but so I, I find the, the next side of that hiding behind both side arguments to defend toxic fans. I don't think we're hiding. I think we're trying to understand because you have toxic fans on both the left and the right. And we're not trying to be one side is pointing only at one side or only pointing at the other. We're trying to understand why both sides are there and why they're pointing at each other. And we're trying to point that out so we can get to a more peaceful resolution or at least a better understanding that no, not the entire fan base is a bunch of troll. No, not all you fans are a bunch of trolls. No, not all the Canon Disney fans are a bunch of trolls. We just got elements of D bags in the midst of everything and we're here trying to, you know, show you the world of fandom in a sense. And so I, I just find it kind of funny that that those were specific points this person locked onto. I mean, I clearly feel like this person might have been following you more into this <laughs> because like a lot of it's more like up your your avenue because of the fact that that's what you do for teaching, you know? Oh, is that avenue? Is that up your? I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, as the, you know, transition to a Trump-loving political podcast, that would be difficult to do, as I don't think either of us would fit that mindset. I, I'm very much sort of a – as a teacher of this stuff, it's hard to teach this stuff if you are someone who believes in intellectual honesty and um, finding actual facts and kind of making judgment calls and whatnot. It's hard to – to, to sort of be a fan of any particular politician. It's more of a pox on both your houses kind of thing. Um, <laughs> um, like, you know, you see the hypocrisy on each side on different issues. You see the extremity on each side on different issues. And I, I really, like, personally, I have a hard time with the idea that anyone who is being intellectually honest could actually be a hard line on either political party uh, or on any particular politician. because most people's views are not so clear cut that they fit an exact party platform, every party position, right? There are going to be things you're, that most people are going to agree with on one side and agree with on the other side. Uh, that tends to be where I tend to be. Um, I tend to agree with some things the Republicans do, some things the Democrats do, and, and disagree with both, you know, at times. Yeah. Um, but it's one of these things where, you know, I just I found that kind of funny. Um, I don't like to talk about where I stand politically because I think that that partially cover, colors the conversation. Um, like in, when I teach, I always tell my students or when I taught in the traditional classroom, you know, especially when teaching world history, which has all these different religions that get covered, I would tell them that, you know, by the end of the semester or the end of the year, I would bet that they would still not be able to tell me what my political affiliation or my political bent is. Or be able to tell me what my religion is because my job is to cover things in a balanced, rational, fact-based, intellectually honest way and let them decide. You know, Teach them critical thinking in essence and let them decide um, based on what's out there. And I kind of take that same approach as much as possible to the podcast, um, oh, though I tend to get more, more opinion out than I would in a classroom definitely, um, but still <laughs> not you know, you know, jumping to one side or another. I will tell you – that I didn't vote for either of the major party candidates in the last election, nor did I vote for the third party person that everybody tends to think I voted for once 
they say that because I didn't like either candidate, and I was focused more down ballot than anything else as far as that goes. In my lifetime, I have voted for Republicans. I have voted for Democrats as far as presidential positions and state positions. Um, I will admit that in Georgia, I am registered as a Republican, but I'm not registered as a Republican because I actually follow all the Republican ideals of that party so much as Georgia state offices are usually going to be won by Republicans. The chances of Democrats winning them are pretty slim. So if you want any say in who is going to actually be the, the candidate in the general election – you want to be able to vote in the primaries to help narrow it down, which is a big thing that I'm into, except you have to actually register for one party or another to vote in their primary. Yeah. So if I want to have an influence on the actual results, I need to register Republicans so I can vote in Republican primaries. Otherwise, I'm going to be in a position where you know, even if I had a voice in the primaries, chances are on the Democrat side that person is not going to be the one elected anyway, so my voice doesn't become part of the process. Mm -hmm. um, were it a, Demo a heavily Democratic state, I'd do the same thing, just registered as a Democrat, assuming it has closed primaries and so forth. I'm one of those people who, who tends to try to call balls and strikes, you know, call it like I see them. There's at least one thing I actually like that Trump has done. Um, that was uh, putting a a constitutional person on the court and as someone who actually looks at the law and the Constitution rather than being a judicial activist and making stuff up as he goes along or being hardline conservative in the opposite direction. Um, that was Gorsuch. Otherwise, I mean, I'd like to say as an econ teacher that, you know, tax cut, awesome, but there wasn't a balancing spending cut. So it just drives up the deficits when econ teachers sitting back there pulling their hair out. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard for me to find things in this current political climate that I actually think were good that happened. So certainly that makes it virtually impossible to be a cheerleader for any political leader, whether it's Trump, Pelosi, Schumer, whoever. But I just think, you know, again, like you were saying, you kind of come in with an assumption that if someone doesn't wind up agreeing with your side wholeheartedly and excoriating the other side, they must be on that other side is, is a, a logical fallacy, as is the idea that we are hiding behind the both sides arguments to defend toxic Star Wars fans. Again, this is why I think that the person didn't listen to more episodes than just the one, mm -hmm. because we've spent episode after episode after episode talking about Star Wars toxic fandom talking about some of the horrific things being infecting the community, how to get past it, how to fix it, how to deal with it, um, and how horrible much of it is, and decrying toxic fandom. Um, We've been doing that before it got right, know, cesspool levels of it. <laughs> and, and, and yes, we do try to address both sides of any issue, as many sides as we can, so you can give a nice big picture idea of whatever the issue is or the topic is that we are discussing. But this is conflating the two into somehow, by trying to be intellectually honest on various sides of issues, that leads to defending toxic fans. If this person has ever listened to the show, they would find that those two things are not together. They're not conflated. There is the intellectual honest side, but there's also excoriating toxic Star Wars fans and trying to get past that, not defending those people. Um, I think the closest thing we ever came to defending toxic fans was the idea that someday either they're going to stay out of fandom and stay toxic, or there's going to have to be some way of finding reconciliation down the road to somehow – allow those who became toxic once they sort of detoxify themselves to somehow find their way back into our reindeer games. Um, but I think that's as close as we ever came to defending toxic Star Wars fans. So, um, yeah, but but I bring this up. I, I wanted to make sure to, to address this one, aside from the fact that it's just bad. But it's funny. 
because, you know, we reviewed Aftermath. And one of the things that we talked about with Aftermath, we actually did two episodes on Aftermath so that the first part was getting the Banthas in the room out of the way, um, including some of the controversial stuff with Chuck Wendig as the writer. And we talked about Eliodi Maracabana as a gender non-binary character in Star Wars using gender neutral pronouns and how that was a controversy and why it's even controversial in, a, in our society. You know, it's not just a sci-fi thing. Look at the broader scope of society and here's what the arguments are on the different sides of these different issues and this is why this showing up in a Star Wars book um, was kind of a jolt and why it was controversial. It was more because it was controversial in society, not so much as the book itself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in the process, we didn't take a right or left position on any of the issues involved. We just talked about what the issues were and why it has a an effect on the way that people were looking at aftermath as a publication and we purposely tried to take that out of the picture before we actually talked about the quality of the book itself um i don't know if you got this uh, i got my first time of being called a libtard uh, because of that episode i was <laughs> someone who was hyper conservative ripped into me because in trying to describe why it's controversial and all the different um, issues in, in society, we didn't immediately take the conservative side and rip into the liberal side. Therefore, we must be on the liberal side, therefore libtard. Um, wow. So it's funny. So the, the tone of this review in public is very similar to the tone of that – I think it was a Facebook message um, back at that point um, because – it's the same vitriol with probably the same fallacy from the complete opposite side of the political spectrum, assuming we are the complete opposite side of the political spectrum as as this one is assuming. <laughs> so, again, I think that must mean we're doing something right. You know, when you're I, pissing I off everybody so. um, and they can't apparently tell which side you're on because you're covering issues in a, a balanced way um, that brings up all the different sides enough to piss off everybody, um, then I guess that's. That's a good thing. So uh, I guess thank you for the review, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, it made for an interesting discussion, but I think that it's, um, you know, it's something that enough people were at were saying, you know, well, are you going to respond to it? Are you going to respond? Are you going to respond that, yeah, we, we might as well. And it makes for a bigger point about uh, uh, why we find, you know, the ballot sometimes difficult because we know this kind of crap is going to be coming. But, yeah. you know, you you got to do it. See, and I don't mind, you know, the negative review every now and again. I guess my issue is I, I hate when a negative review sits there for like 30 some odd days and we get no other reviews. I'm like, I hate that being the first review that I see. I'm like, come on, that's not even just, accurate. Like, if it's, I say, if it's a bad review, at least make it a bad review that's accurate. You know, talk about how I say, uh, all the freaking time. Um, or Mark brings up the new Jedi shut order. up and let Mark talk. You know, <laughs> complain about the real stuff. You know, don't make BS assumptions or or take things out of context and use that for it because that just shows you're being intellectually dishonest about your review. We're, we'd love to get actual criticism, constructive criticism that is honest about what's actually in the show because that's what helps us grow. But stuff like that doesn't help us grow. It just kind of makes us, you know, snarky and then laugh at it and use it as a case example. Right. Uh, but we did get some really nice ones. Uh, Thoughtful Star Wars Discussion by Freedom410. Uh, i gotten sick of most Star Wars podcasts, particularly uh, Force. I'm not going to say the rest of the name there just because I don't want to talk smack. Uh, <laughs> which seems to focus on Star Wars-related nonsense, such as news stories about guys dressed as Darth Vader robbing banks. Fortunately, I found Star Wars Beyond the Films. 
Nathan and Mark actually engage in interesting and substantive discussions about Star Wars, the stories of Star Wars. They tend to focus on new releases, but also discuss broader themes such as uh, gender in the saga. They keep the conversation lively and lighthearted throughout. I also appreciate that unlike that other podcast, Beyond the Films doesn't trash certain fans and is generally respectful of all points of view. This podcast covers all periods of the EU and Disney canon. No matter which era of Star Wars you enjoy, there's probably something on this podcast you'll enjoy. Also, by and large, these episodes don't become immediately obsolete, as many podcast episodes do. It's definitely worth going back and listening to their earlier episodes. Overall, this has become one of my favorite Star Wars podcasts. And thank you for that, because i, I that's something I, I truly believe about our show, too, is that you can go back and listen to some of our stuff. Some of our, our first 20 episodes, especially... Uh, you know, you can go back and listen to our ones with Pete Morrison where we were talking about the uh, the Sith Lord books and stuff, but Darth Plagueis and stuff. And just just brilliant episodes. You go back to it and and even our, our What is Canon one. If you're looking at what Canon was back in the day, go to that one. I mean, we lay it all out. There. There's some really good topics and stuff that we have, especially in that first hundred episodes that we did that, that just have really stood the test of time. So I, I thank you for that review. Uh, another one we got is a great show that dives into all things beyond the films. This is by True Kids. Uh, Mark and Nathan are super knowledgeable in the Star Wars universe. Their opinions expressed on the show are always insightful, even if they have opinions that differ from my own on certain topics. It always expands my knowledge in the Star Wars universe and makes me see things in a different light. Always informative and fun. And and honestly, I feel like that's kind of like what we're out there to do. You know, I mean, we're not out there to bash anybody. We're out there to further your love for this IP. You know, I mean, I, I definitely feel like I love Legends a little more than canon. I love them both, but I want to share that love that I have with Legends. If you've never seen Legends, if you don't know anything about Legends, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you don't know anything about canon, there's some stuff I'd like to talk to you about that, too. But again, my 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 base camp is Legends, man. I'm, you've heard me say it so many times. New Jedi Order, that's my favorite story. That resonated with me on a level that I want to share the enjoyment that I got out of that experience. Uh, I brought some of my closest friends. I even brought my father, my, my brother-in-laws into Star Wars to a depth that I was. I mean, they had all read all the books and they all came from that one series. I gave them all star by star. They read that one book and was like, I need to read this from the beginning. Went back to Vector Prime. Once they finished that, they were jumping all over the timeline, catching up on all that great Star Wars adventures. So, I mean, for me, that's what it's all about. Sharing that love, dissecting what's out there, enjoying the fandom, you know, dissecting the fandom and, you know, talking to you, Nate. Like, I, I get a kick out of that. I mean, I, I said it before, you know, I, I met Nathan P. Butler on the Star Wars forums and he was the icon, you know, the, the, the fan that they tapped to become a VIP that didn't happen, you know? So, so Nate was like the one of us that made it in. So to get to do this show with you, my man has always been something that I get a kick out of. So I don't mind the fact that my voice isn't as loud because I'm sitting here just listening to you just as the fans are. I'm like, that's so damn interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to go write a negative iTunes review right now. He said IP. You shouldn't be talking about urine on a podcast. Click, 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 right. click, click. One star. In a pot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, okay. So um, we did get a couple of uh, emails that we're going to use for our uh, feedback here. So to finally get into that, as opposed to the review stuff, uh, we have one that comes in from Jonathan. I know him as Senator Confer. Uh, who is someone who is a frequent uh, responder and commenter over on YouTube for many of the things that I do and actually has had, I think it just got released. It just got released or it's about to be released. Uh, several questions about timelining 
that showed up in one of the mini Q video episode, video episodes that I did on uh, YouTube. So Jonathan says, this is the first time that I'm giving feedback, so I hope I'm doing this right. To start, I'm glad to see you guys back. Nate, I've said this before on your YouTube channel, but congratulations on having your son. Just make sure that Cade doesn't grow to love Ewoks season two and everything will be good. Uh, I'm not sure if there's much that would cause me to disown a child. (laughs) (laughs) But that Ewok season two. uh, It's pushing the envelope. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a reason that's that's not on home video. If you ever get a chance to see it, uh, the. Yeah, personalities change. Wicket's a douchebag. Um, the Latara and uh, Tebow relationship is completely flip flopped, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as Barrett once put it, though, speaking of Latara, everyone loves a skank. So how how can I disagree with that? I guess I still love uh, that. But uh, but yeah, thankfully Ewok season two is not on home video. I only have this the uh, recorded off TV scan stuff um, that I guess was done with the same VHS set that I have uh, by somebody who actually had a player that could play PAL stuff. And uh, yeah, so it's sitting on the computer. So as long as he sticks to the home video stuff of Ewoks, we're good. But as soon as he starts tooling around on the computer watching Ewoks, then we're going to have a problem. Like, is that why couldn't you uh, just been watching porn or something? Is that, I was going to say, is that in the hidden file where you keep your Trails End video? <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, to continue. For just general Star Wars stuff, I'm first interested to hear your thoughts on the current Star Wars comics. Afra has been hyped up, and the Star Wars comic now has a new artist, which I personally am glad for. Uh, we even have a new Swolo in issue 57. I guess that's the shirtless Han Solo. Uh, and with Vader wrapping up, what do you hope to see next from Sewell? In a more political angle, I want to hear your guys' thoughts on the controversy with Rachel Butera, uh, who, for those unaware, she's the voice actress of Leia in Resistance, and she mocked Christine Blasey Ford's voice on Twitter. This has led to a petition to have her removed from the show. Apologies that this is too political, but I think this is on the same level as Wendig on Twitter. Finally, I want to know what you expect from the Queen's Shadow and Master and Apprentice. For the latter, I personally hope for Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's year on Mandalore mentioned in the Clone Wars. I think it could be both action and romance heavy, which we know Claudia Gray does well. For Queen's Shadow, I guess we'll see the reaction from Naboo when she steps down. But other than that, I can't make predictions that don't retread on the book's summary. Thanks for reading, and may the Force be with you. Nice. Well, Jonathan, we appreciate the feedback, and we always love a first-time feedbacker. Uh, you know, current comics, my, my thoughts, I'm actually, I find this medium of the new canon probably the one that I'm getting the most enjoyment out of. Um, there were some arcs when they first started kicking them out that I didn't care for. There were a couple of Leia arcs that were subpar. Chewbacca was just, why, why did we go there? That was not a good story at all. Uh, like the Chewbacca one to me, that was like a, a wasted opportunity. I want a story where we can get Chewbacca talking. Like I don't need to, I don't need to see it in English. Just give me the little hyphens so I know that it's being translated as I'm reading it. Like that's what I want. Get into something like that. Um, but overall, though, uh, you know, the Kanan, the uh, Doctor Afra, I've enjoyed that one. Uh, but Darth Vader, holy cow, that Darth Vader is probably knocked Kanan off of my number one spot of the comics. I'm I'm actually I'm kind of bummed that it's wrapping up. Like I I'm I'm really enjoying that series so much that I don't want to see it wrap up. I feel like that one has really gone above and beyond even the main Star Wars line of connectivity. Like what's gone on in that series, characters have spun out and now we've got Afro doing her own show. Uh we had the Vader Down crossover. Like it's just been working. Um so so I've I'm I'm bummed that that one's wrapping up because I I feel like that one's got so much potential still, and I think that of any comic out there, 
that is going to rectify the issue of, you know, 1970s through 80s Vader being this ultimate dark badass. And then we get 2000 and we see young whiny Anakin and we're trying to, to correlate that Anakin falling and becoming that badass. Anything that's going to push him to being that badass again, it's going to be this comic. And they've been doing a great job of it. I, w- I don't want to see that end. I'm really getting a kick out of that aspect. So that that's one for me that that's that's bittersweet because I, I didn't actually realize it was coming to an end. So like most Marvel things, it just kind of out of nowhere. They're like, hey, we're pulling the brakes. Uh, but it, it reminds me of, you know, you talk about Master and Apprentice. There's that Age of Republic Qui-Gon one issue that came out. And as I was reading that, I kept thinking, ooh, is this going to be the tale that we're going to learn about how Qui-Gon ran into the wills and, and how he learned his – like I thought that was going to be a great opportunity for that, but they didn't go there. So I'm like, you know, maybe maybe we'll get something like that in, in Master and Apprentice or something. Like then I think about what Jude Watson did with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon during her Jedi Apprentice series. And I get excited about that because that was a really great relationship between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, especially if they keep the aspect that Qui-Gon didn't pick Kenobi right out the gate. Uh, in Legends, Kenobi was like his like second choice, third choice, or was basically forced on him even kind of thing. It was a great start to their relationship and to watch that build up and watch Obi-Wan's uncertainty. And then when he starts having relationships and stuff, like I, I'm ho- so I'm hoping for that kind of stuff in Master and Apprentice. Now, Queen Shadow... I don't know on that one. Like, there's part of me that's kind of like, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what else they could add to that to make that really exciting, aside from just giving us reasons why Padme is doing what she's doing and, and and setting her on the path that she's going and having her walking away from the royalty aspect and having that make more sense because that's one of those aspects of George Lucas's storytelling that just didn't quite line up. Kind of like having Kenobi look like he's closer to 70, 80, and then being like, oh, but it was only 20 years ago. You know, like some of the things George did just didn't quite line up. So I, I'm kind of hoping that Shadow or Queen Shadow kind of works in that way. You know, like it, it adds to Padme's story instead of just being the Chewbacca story. We're like, do we really need that? Because I, I'm done with stories that I'm like, did we really need that? In an era of new Disney and we're putting out a lot of comics and stuff, I am over the quantity over quality. I am ready for quality books in a small quantity. Uh, it's something I've argued both sides of in the, the 10 plus, tw- almost 20 plus years that I've been in the fandom. Um, but moving from that to the uh, Star Wars Leia resistance voice actor and that potential controversy, if we remove her, uh, you know, and you look at, at what happened with with Wendig, you look at what happened in the public scene with Disney and Roseanne. Um, and I think the precedent that's out there from the running a business side of things. I think that there is an argument that, yes, she should be removed. And that's only in the aspect of what they've done so far in the past with the actors and voice actors and things of that nature from the business side of things. Now, from the grand scheme of life and people saying things, putting their foot in their mouth, I don't think she should be removed. I think that what she was doing, she thought she was being funny. Uh, She thought she was being humorous. And it backfired. I mean, you know, I remember... I was 16 and we were at the 4th of July and we were at Savi Island up by Portland. My whole family was there and my uncle Pat, who's only 10 years older than me because he's the youngest of my dad's brothers. So I had this affinity with my uncle Pat. I was like, Oh, Pat, Uncle Pat. And he comes over to me. And I had one of those pull string poppers and I'm like, Hey, pow. And I popped it right in his face. I almost blinded him. I thought it was funny as hell, except for the fact that like I brought a grown man to tears and, and he couldn't see for 30 minutes. Then I felt really bad. Like, 
it, it, it switched super fast. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, like, man, I felt like a heel. So I'm sure that that voice actress, when all of that controversy hit the fan and you could hear the sizzle of the bacon, I'm sure she felt like a shoe. I'm sure she felt really small. And I'm sure she's probably fearing for her job. So on that aspect, I don't think she should be fired. But I do think that there was a precedence there that the Disney Corporation has made a precedence. And in that regard, I could see them firing her and it would only make sense because of what they've done in past situations. So, so that's my thoughts on that. Nate, what about you? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm still reeling from the whole like popper thing. Uh, I didn't realize that on this show, we were going to be revealing your background in domestic terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, man. Um, so let's see. So from the comic standpoint, um, I've really liked and it's that's it's the troubling part. I've really liked some of the Star Wars comics coming out of Marvel. Some of them meh and crap, like that's not Leia and all that kind of stuff. But the more recent stuff has been pretty good. But it's like every time they try to do a one shot, they f it up, right? right? Like like let's bring it, let's do this uh, annual that's going to tie into Catalyst. Except this, we're going to do it <laughs> by actually not reading Catalyst first. <laughs> Oops. Um, so certain things won't make sense when you connect the two together. Um, little stuff like that has been an issue, but I, I do believe the line is getting better. I think that the might Podam be an issue with annuals in general, though, because I yeah. have that complaint with X Men comics and Spider Man. I'm like, God damn annuals! Yeah, yeah, annuals that, especially since they're usually written by somebody who's not the main writer, so they're not going to tie it into much in the way of the, the ongoing stories. Um, but I think that, like I said, it is getting better. The Poe Dameron stuff I liked. But at the same time, I kind of wish that they had um, hadn't messed around with it quite as much as far as uh, the timing. You know, now there's a bunch of stuff crammed in right before The Force Awakens that wasn't really expected when they first published some of the books before it, like before The Awakening. So now you have to kind of shoehorn stuff in that sort of thing. But that's a logistical thing from up above. That's not the, the book itself. Um, the original Vader I wasn't as keen on. This Vader I really like. This new one. Uh, Charles Sewell really is kind of kicking butt when it comes to the Star Wars comic writing. Um, him and Kieran Gillen seem to get it in a way that Jason Aaron, for instance, didn't seem to. And some of these other authors they've brought in for just like random stuff like the, the Han Solo miniseries that meant nothing and did nothing as opposed to the newer ones that actually have at least some place um, from a broader standpoint of teaching us about the character and his background and that sort of thing. What I'll say, though, is I think that the one that stands out to me is still Dr. Aphra. Um, Aphra mm -hmm. was the highlight of the original Darth Vader series, and her series is really good. Um, I really enjoy it. In fact, uh, I actually went out of my way to make sure that I got a Dr. Aphra action figure when they released it. Just her, not her with the droids, um, that is now sitting on my shelf. Um, yeah, so I've got the Dr. Aphra right there next to Janus, Solo, and Thrawn sitting on the shelf what's interesting is that um it, it's the interpersonal relationships that really make that story worthwhile and the immediate reaction you see a lot of times when you bring that up is oh well they're just doing the politically correct thing because afra is a lesbian and there's this woman on woman relationship going on well forget the genders i mean assume that inspector tolvin Make Tolvin a man instead of a woman, okay? Make Sana uh, Staro, someone said Solo, um, a man instead of a woman. Whatever. But the interactions you get within these characters and the completely screwed up nature of Afra and her perspective and how it affects her relationships and trust with any other human beings or sentient beings in the galaxy uh, makes for a really compelling character. Um, I wasn't too into the whole Akreskar jail thing with the, the Jedi's 
influence spore thing of the last arc, the uh, Catastrophe Con arc. But I gotta tell you, the way they handled the interactions between Afra and Tolvan, and then tossed uh, Sana into the mix as part of that was really compelling stuff, really well done stuff. And it's one of those things where it doesn't, there's nothing about the way that that story is being told where any of the characters have to be lesbians, right? Mm -hmm. That's not, like the author isn't using that as like a beating you over the head with it just happens to be that this is a character trait of this character. Now let's show how their relationships are all screwed up because of their actions and their mindset the way we would with any character, whether they were gay, straight, or whatever the otherwise would be, right? Um, that this is a character who it doesn't matter who they're interacting with, they're going to have these screwed up relationships, and here's how those play out, which is made for a really compelling character, but still a controversial one because it's like, you know, you have the whole issue of, on the one side, you know, yay inclusion, on the other side, wait a second, you're pushing an agenda of uh, uh, putting gay characters in your stories, etc. I'm like, you know, maybe we can stay away from those extremes and just enjoy the story for what it is, because if we can enjoy the story for what it is, this is a really compelling character with some screwed up situations, mm-hmm. thanks to the choices that she has made, which makes it a fantastic thing to read. Even the way they go about it, though, it makes sense. Like, I liked how uh, uh, Daniel Jose Older had incorporated one of those characters. The only thing I didn't care for was that it wasn't explained in a way like Han Solo automatically knew to refer to that character as they, and they never once explained why when the character was introduced as looking like Han Solo. I was like, wait, but Han Solo is clearly a dude, and yet all of a sudden Han's like going they all the time. Like, I wish they would have explained that. Whereas Afra, there's none of that question of like what what what's going on. Like, you automatically just picked right up on it and you just moved along. Yeah, you've got different issues involved there when it comes to inclusion and the controversy surrounding it, but you still get the same right-left bickering over the character itself. And, you know, this character is this thing that's been created by someone. They're not necessarily going to pour all their political ideals into it. They may be just pouring good ideas for character development into it and bringing this thing that's been created that's not a real person to life on the page. So, yeah. Uh, there's that. As far as Queen Shadow and Master and Apprentice, Queen Shadow, I'm kind of hoping to see some Rush Clovis. Uh, and I would not have said that after originally just watching Senate Spy, but after Senate Spy and the later episodes that deal with Clovis in the Clone Wars cartoon series, it'd be kind of interesting to see at least a little bit of that background, but I forget exactly when that takes place. It'd be interesting to see. Um, as for Master and Apprentice, I agree. It'd be pretty compelling to see the Mandalore stuff. The, the thing is, I'm not really excited about either of these. I mean... Yay, it's going to be a book that's Padme's book. Okay, well, what's compelling about it other than, hey, Padme's getting a book, right? Um, There's a lot of push of, well, hey, Leia's getting a book. Okay, but what is it that's supposed to make the book compelling other than it happens to be about this character? Um, We've been burned too much with that. Chewbacca comic miniseries, anyone from Marvel? Leia comic miniseries? The original Han comic miniseries? They were crap! So it can't just be... This is the focal character. That's why you should buy it. I mean, there's got to be some compelling rationale behind it. Master and Apprentice, I feel like we haven't seen much of the Qui-Gon-Obi-Wan interaction outside of Phantom Menace within canon. But at the same time, we saw so freaking much of it in Legends that I still feel burned out on that. It'd be interesting to see what they do with it, but it needs to be compelling as something other than just this – is the pair of characters we're focusing on. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm looking for, not looking forward to the books themselves yet, but looking forward to seeing what 
we get as more is revealed about it as to how are they going to make this compelling? Because you got people like Claudia Gray involved who usually are really good at drawing me in. So yeah. how do you take these books that maybe don't sound all that interesting to me right now uh, and draw me in? What's the hook going to be? That's the, the interesting thing to me. Uh, well, Claudia Gray is good at that because like I, I've noticed with the new transition, the big three characters are characters that as each story comes out, I care less and less about them. Like the more I find out about these versions of the characters, the more I don't like this version of the characters. But yet when Claudia Gray did uh, the Leia book with the Princess of Alderaan, I mean, that was a great book. Like, and I, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. Like she has, there's something about her writing style that has put her up there as the Timothy Zahn of the new canon. You know what I mean? Like the, the old Zahn. Like Zahn right now, he's still back and, and he's kind of cashing in on his name, but I don't feel like he's quite where he once was, whereas Claudia is definitely in that zone right now. I guess the last thing he asked about uh, – well, second thing, but the last thing I'll touch on is the thing about uh, the voice actors for Leia and mocking uh, Blasey Ford's voice, which really was – was I mean, they said you thought she was trying to be funny. I mean I guess trying to be funny? Maybe? But I think that there is the slippery slope of the idea that you know say anything that offends anyone and it could cost you your job. But at the same time, there's also the, well – if you are out there as a representative of a particular company or people associate you with that particular company or this project or whatever, and you are doing something or, or, or offending people in a big way in an untoward way, then doesn't that reflect on the company or the project or whatever? And shouldn't they be able to disassociate themselves and so on, especially since this is not a free speech issue when you're talking about employment? That's a different thing than if the government's trying to come in and cut your free speech. I would say that maybe – Maybe it comes down to proportionality, not just the proportionality of or a proportional response, as we say in politics, right? You know, they blow up a bunker, you blow up a uh, a bunker, that sort of thing. Like it's not they blow up one of your bases, you wipe out their entire country kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but in military terms, they talk about a proportional response, kind of the same thing, but not necessarily proportional in terms of how offensive it was, although I think that would play into it. But also to some degree, the proportionality of how much that person could be seen to represent the product like Roseanne was the face of that show, yeah. which was a huge thing for ABC. So when she made comments about Valerie Jarrett that were blatantly, whatever she says later, blatantly racist in their connotation, then – that reflected on her, and her reputation reflects on the show, which reflected on ABC, which which is Disney, uh, which is where they they took action, you know. But she wasn't necessarily saying it within the context of herself as a member of that cast or that crew, yeah. but as herself. But it had that same ability to reflect on it. But I think about this person is Rachel Butera, who plays the voice actress of Leia, who's barely in Resistance. Is she associated enough with resistance? Does she publicly associate herself enough with resistance um, through her social media that what she says on social media should be considered something that would reflect on the show and therefore maybe should be acted upon, right? Um, how much is she doing kind of like what Pablo Hidalgo was doing, which is sort of blending the line between what he does with work and what he does personally and which is that Twitter account, right? Mm -hmm. um, the thing about it is I don't know enough about her or her situation or her reputation to, you know, really say anything about it. I mean, I know that I don't think I had heard the name before the controversy and Leia's not really much in the show. So my guess is it's probably something they wouldn't feel the need to act upon because it is such a tiny thing. It's not going to reflect on them. Right. Um, but 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not aware enough of the situation. I just wonder if where we're heading um, in order to find some intellectually honest balance between offense and reaction and you know what society standards are and that sort of thing. Maybe we're heading towards the idea of proportionality of some kind if we're not there already. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I'm if I'm a member of, you know, if, if I'm a gaffer on a movie and I make a gaff, no pun intended, on social media, just kind of headed that way, um, on social media, should I be fired from the film or am I so small that I'm not reflecting on the film that I'm in? So they're just going to be like, wow, you're a douche, but get back to work, you know? Yeah. Hard to say. Or would anybody even notice or make a thing about it? Like what, if someone else had said this that wasn't someone connected to this, they were connected to some little show nobody's ever heard of or franchise nobody's ever heard of would the calls for you should step down also have happened you know where there there's a it's one of these things that's so new in society that um we're still trying to get a handle on it you know it's kind of like how the law is always behind technology well in in essence sort of society right now and our knee-jerk reactions and our emotional reactions are behind you know any of the more logical legal-based or research-based or whatever type of reaction because there hasn't been time to address those sorts of things um, it's all still relatively new on the social front. Well, it's like, you know, you, you've got the aspect of this happened recently, and then you've got other aspects that are also in the Disney encampment that came years later, like Gunn getting fired off of tweets that he said a decade ago, right? You've got that. Or you got people going back with Andy Gutierrez's Twitter account and finding the Cup of Tears image and making an issue out of that. And, you know, and these are things that happened long ago, but people are bringing it back to people's attention to try to get people in trouble. And like, there's that side of things that that bothers me to a degree. Like, you know, like let the past die, but yet at the same time, kill it if you have to. <laughs> right. Which I guess like, means yeah. go and delete your Twitter or something. Is that what I, kill it if you have to? Clearly, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, some people should be. Um, but I, I think that there are there are a lot of things. So maybe the proportionality there is something we need to start looking at, because like I think like what happened with, with James Gunn, for example, like, I mean, that was so long ago, you knew or should have known everything going in. And the fact that it comes to attention now, it's like it's too late. You've already got this guy hired. You've made two movies that that was a, to me. That was a weird call. Like with with Roseanne, like as you put it, you know, she's the name of the show like that one made more sense. It was happening right now. Um, and I, th- I think in a large part, if you had something that happened a year to 10 years ago versus something happening now, I think the thing that's happening now should be the more shameful event. Cause like you should know better. Like, you know, 10 years ago, James Gunn isn't doing the things he was doing 10 years ago. At least I hope he isn't. Uh, so like, like, you know, there's been some growth since then. So let's not punish him now that he's matured for something he did when he was immature. Uh, you know, but with Roseanne being immature now in the in the present, like, I, I don't know, like, there's a lot of things that go into this that I think that we as a society were learning about. Plus, you've got the different factions going on that are definitely at war with each other's ideals. So they're taking and weaponizing things that should be trivial. Um, so I think there's a lot of that stuff that adds up to it. So it's definitely a, a murky place. There's a lot of gray going on, not a lot of hard lines. And yet everyone's pointing out hard lines. <laughs> The other email we have to dig into here that has several questions as well is from Steven Schinder. Uh, Steven says, It's always great hearing new episodes from you guys. I got into various Star Wars podcasts a few years ago, but Star Wars Beyond the Films is one of two Star Wars podcasts that I still keep up with. Love how you guys play off each other and give your honest reviews, even if I disagree on some points. You guys are great examples of how reasonable people should be within fandom. I've been meaning to submit questions and topics for a feedback episode, but keep missing the deadline. So here's what I've got. 
Number one, do you guys listen to and recommend any podcasts uh, that you haven't listened to even, uh, even non-Star Wars ones? Number two, I've noticed that I don't have qualms saying whether or not a Star Wars book, comic, or TV episode is bad, and yet I've never called any of the Star Wars movies bad. I wonder whether I'm not as harsh of a critic when it comes to the movies, and I'm not sure why. Do you guys ever feel this way? Number three, with the film series coming from the Game of Thrones guys, do you think we may finally get something set in the Old Republic era? What types of stories would you want to see? Would you prefer that they explore new characters in different years within that era rather than familiar ones within the years that have been explored? And then the longer question he asked, number four, we've all heard the Chuck Wendick news recently. Some people were surprised that it happened, while me and possibly some others were just surprised that Marvel hired him in the first place. Opinions have been divided. Personally, I wasn't a fan of how Wendig seemed to lump some readers together when their criticisms weren't all about the same issue. I must admit, though, that I was looking forward to the Shadow of Vader series since it would have explored Will Rowe Hood and the Acolytes of the Beyond. I was hoping that someone else would have been able to take the reins, but I'm guessing that Marvel probably saw these ideas, or at least the Acolytes, as Wendig-centric, and now I worry that we may never find out anything else about the Acolytes of the Beyond other than what we've seen in Aftermath. How do you guys feel about this? Again, love the podcast. And Nathan, congratulations again on Cade and the new chapter in your life. See you guys on the interwebs, Stephen Schinder. Nice. Well, Stephen, always great to have you uh, feedbacking when you can. And uh, so you don't know out there, the listeners, we do have a Beyonders Who Ponder chat. And uh, Stephen is in there pretty regularly throwing out some ideas and stuff, getting us chatting about different things. Check that out if you haven't. Uh, you know, for me, I, I, I love the fact that we got new episodes as well. Um, you know, every time I watch... Uh, uh, the Wampus Lair, one of our, our podcasts on the Second Airborne Network, great show as well. Uh, bump to them. Uh, as they get closer to almost 400, I'm like, man, Nate, we, we're falling behind. Uh, but I don't mind that. Like, I, I think we've got a good stride going right now. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's not as much quality. as we would like. Right? Quality yes. over quantity. Yes. You were just saying that. Yes. Which isn't to say that the Wampus Lair is going the other direction. They're just killing it on on meeting their deadline. I love it. Uh, it's a great excuse, show to listen to. It's our excuse to. For, for a few episodes. Right? Right? We're, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I also love the fact that we, the way we play off each other, um, sometimes I feel like I, I'm, I'm jumping on Nate, but at the same time, like I, I know that if I don't get in there, then we won't have that great, you know, like this, this, we sat down with two emails and we're already at almost an hour. <laughs> like, I love it. Like this is, this is what I get a kick out of is sitting here and chatting with you, my man, uh, other podcasts. And I love the fact the way you were, you worded that because you know that I, I don't have a lot of time to listen to a lot of other shows. So when I hear any other shows, it's usually I catch a, a bit here or, or I see a topic that they're doing there. Um, but for me, like I said, uh, the Wampas Lair, love what they're doing. Ion Cannon, love what they're doing. Um, you know, a lot of the shows on our second airborne network, of course, I'm going to pop them up there because, you know, bookworms, you guys are just crushing it. I love it. Uh, but there are other shows out there like uh, Bro Axiom, uh, Dan Miller's show. Uh, it's great. Phantom from Down Under. Uh, Riley's doing with Aaron Goins, Mouse and Castle. If you're into Disney stuff, that's a great one. Um, literary tracks with Bruce doing Star Trek stuff and other books and stuff. Really great shows that I like to uh, occasionally try to listen to or at least guest on and stuff. Check out their stuff. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of fans making some really great things. Um, um, oh, what is it? Uh, Cantina Network. Can't think of uh, uh, Robert Vaught's uh, show right now, but like, there's just a lot of really cool stuff on Facebook. Uh, not just not just on uh, on the web itself, but people are doing things specifically on Facebook and stuff. Just really good shows out there. So, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that you're still listening to us and that we're one of your top two. That's awesome. 
Uh, some days I feel like, you know, like my voice isn't that relevant with so many great voices out there. Um, so, you know, I love the fact that there are other shows out there and every day there's new shows coming out. Um, I, I'm going to not touch on uh, two and three for a second. I'll let Nate hit on those. Uh, getting to Windig and the Killing of the Vader series. Like, I, that's a big question mark for me. Like, so, like, I'm happy that Windig is out in the aspect of there were a lot of things that he did from the fandom side of things and the, the finger to the nose to, to people and, and the way he categorized people that I felt was sometimes unfair that I'm, I'm happy that that's out, but I wonder what he was bringing to the story that was so bad like you, that they had to cancel it all. That that's something like, like I'm like, was he going like in a Mortis route? Cause like there's things about Mortis that I would rather they keep out of star Wars and not ever touch again, leave it mysterious. Let's not go back there. But if he was going back there, then yeah, let's get it out to kill it with fire. So, so I'm curious. I want to know more as that goes down the road, like get some details and stuff. Maybe it's like the, uh, the Yoda series that never came out or, you know, some of the different series books and stuff that legends had that were going to come out. And yet, they never made it past the cover or there's some books out there like they almost finished the book and yet they killed it for some God unknown reason. So I'm curious on that one. All right. Let's see if I can hit these, uh, these four without, uh, completely losing track and sucking up another hour. Um, so, uh, podcast to recommend, honestly, I don't actually listen to much in the way of star Wars podcasts at this point. Um, just because part of it is not having time. Part of it is I'm so seeped in it myself that when I'm listening to something just for entertainment, I try to listen to something else that's one of my other interests. I would say that the show and and, you know, full disclosure, I've been part of this show in the past. Um, I'm actually recording later tonight at the same day we're recording this episode. I'll be recording a year in review segment uh, with Brock for this show. Um, so it's certainly not something that I can say I've never had personal involvement in. I've been fortunate that a lot of times whenever I've really liked the Star Wars podcast in the past, I've had a chance to actually take part in it, especially in those early, early days um, when the community was so uh, close-knit. But uh, Star Wars Action News, I think that from a collecting standpoint and collecting news standpoint and, and, and that sort of thing, they have sort of been the king of that, uh, or Arnie and Margie have been the royal couple of that for years. And as such... Um, still manage to do so with a lot of really interesting segments and things that they do. Uh, I will sometimes listen to that show, even though I don't collect much outside of home video stuff or books, comics and such, because I just find the discussion on the state of collecting interesting. And uh, I don't get a chance to listen to all of them, but I've always found that to be a fun one to listen to. Um, I would recommend find something outside your comfort zone of Star Wars, because you can listen and be entertained and at the same time, be educated. Like I know more about certain aspects of Star Wars collecting thanks to listening to Star Wars Action News, even though I myself don't collect. And we've had people say the same thing of us where, you know, I don't necessarily listen, like read all the books and the comics, but I'm able to learn more about them and the issues going on and that sort of thing by listening to this show. So that's always something I would recommend. Let's see. Outside of Star Wars, um, again, I'm someone who's really into politics, so I try to listen to a broad, diverse range of, of voices on all the different sides. What I've run into is that uh, we cut cord on cable ages ago so now we use sling um sling is the way that i get any of the news channels we have like the news package but the news package includes msnbc and cnn but doesn't include fox fox news so you get sort of the left and slightly left versus the right 
Um, so I try to balance that by listening to uh, Ben Shapiro's podcast or, um, or Jordan Peterson's podcast to get sort of a little bit more of a right right to center kind of view, depending on which topic they're covering at any given time. So I can get that balance um, and listen to POTUS. But that's a, a satellite radio channel that's very down the middle. Um, so, again, kind of that whole idea of, you know, well, if there's something that you're seeped in one way, try to find sort of the other side of that to give yourself a balanced perspective and get sort of a broader mindset on it. There is one podcast that I listen to pretty much religiously, and in fact, I've listened to some episodes multiple times because they don't come out very often, um, that I find fascinating. But that's because I'm a, you know, I'm a political science slash government slash history, et cetera, et cetera, guy. I mean, social studies is my thing because I teach it all the time. <laughs> um, I'm a junkie for that sort of thing. And it's called uh, What Trump Can Teach Us About Con Law. It's a little bit left-leaning <laughs> at times, but it's really interesting name. because – what it does is it grabs things that Trump has done or said or tweeted, stuff that's happening in the administration, pulls it out, gives it historical perspective, and then talks about the constitutional concepts related to whatever it is. Like oh. um, he did it when he said the thing about how um, he wants to to do away with uh, the uh, jus soli, the birthright citizenship, where uh, if you're here and you're if you're born here on American soil, you are automatically an American citizen and that sort of thing. So they use that as a jumping off point to talk about how citizenship works, what the Constitution says about it and that sort of thing, which is a fascinating topic. And they keep it nicely contained enough that it's sort of a bite sized podcast. Um, I find that stuff fascinating. So I really have enjoyed listening um, to that one. Um, again, if you're into politics, it's great to listen to. Um, just know that if, when you're getting into it, it is a little bit on the left-leaning sometimes, uh, or you might say an anti-Trump sometimes, um, depending on what issue is coming up and how realistic whatever he has said actually is in the context of the Constitution. Or what he's said sure. in general. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not sure if it's because of the if the, because the hosts have a slightly left-leaning bent, or if it's just because they see things that don't make legal sense and they you know, kind of pick it apart. I don't know if it's actually a leaning or not, but um, just in case you were very overly sensitive to that sort of thing, you know, just be warned. But it's it's a fascinating listen. Um, let's see. Qualms about saying whether or not a Star Wars book, comic, or TV episode is bad and yet not saying so about the Star Wars movies. I think that um, I'm not as harsh a critic personally of the Star Wars films, except maybe Phantom Menace. Um, but I, I would say that that's the... the process behind that i think is that to, to a large degree the films sort of define what star wars is and to a lesser degree the tv series are defining what star wars is mm -hmm. uh, what it includes the attitude the perspectives of it uh, what to expect from star wars and that sort of thing so in essence it's hard to say this movie isn't star wars when it's helping define what star wars is that's one of the things there was a criticism of the last jedi that always bothered me somewhat is this idea of, well, it's just not a Star Wars movie. Well, it was different than expectations, and it certainly wasn't the comfort food that we were used to. But right. now it is part of defining what Star Wars is. Its tropes, its themes, its ideas, its character relationships are now a foundational part of this canon. Therefore, we need to see how things react to it and build upon it. Um, it's hard for me to go and just say something is necessarily bad. And I wonder mm -hmm. what my perspective would have been on the prequels, particularly um, Attack on the Clones or Revenge of the Sith. Um, and even the early Clone Wars cartoon stuff, if it hadn't been for the fact that we had existing continuity that it was trampling on sometimes, causing me to have that instant nitpicky reaction to it rather than just being able to sit back and enjoy it. Um, I'm right. still eager for Episode Nine because it will be the first Star Wars movie, just as Resistance is the first Star Wars television series that I will be able to watch since the late 90s 
where I'm not having to pick it apart from a continuity and chronological standpoint for the timeline. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do that anymore. Um, I can just sit back and enjoy it and then pick it apart. The revolution! Um, let's see. Uh, Three, the, with the film series coming from Game of Thrones, guys, do you, should we finally get something from the older public here? That would be interesting. What type of stories would you want to see? Um, same thing I always say, right, which is I care less about the time period and more about giving us dynamic, entertaining stories that matter to the continuity. But that also, at least as far as something like this, if you're going to make an entire TV series, give us new characters. Because yes. one of the things that's been great for Resistance, to a degree so far as far as resistance has been a star wars series at all instead of generic sci-fi which has only really started to change in the last couple episodes um but uh, you look at rebels and you look at resistance and both of those you don't know what's going to happen to these characters because they are new to that series and therefore anything could happen it's unpredictable whereas clone wars you put characters in peril you can assume that nothing's going to happen to ahsoka at least not till the end of the series but then you look at other characters like anakin obi-wan Padme, Dooku, Grievous, Palpatine, et cetera, et cetera. And you know that, you know, they're going to end up where they are in Revenge of the Sith. So a lot of the peril disappears, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Anakin may be going to the dark side right now. No, I'm I'm, I'm kidding. I know he does that in Revenge of the Sith. Oh, oh, Anakin might die. Oh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. He's alive. Like when they put the Han and Chewie in Death Troopers, you're like, there's my out. I'm just going to yeah. stick with those two. Yeah, of course, they're going to wind up making it out just fine. So in that – and it's kind of like the same thing I've, I've said of Solo, right? You're watching Solo to get a little bit of background on Han and Chewie, but really the more interesting part of Solo is Beckett and Kira and so on because these are characters whose fates are unknown. Anything could happen to them. So mm-hmm. I don't care about the time frame really all that much. Um, make it something meaningful. Make it something that is actually going to feel like Star Wars, unlike Resistance almost every week so far uh, instead of generic sci-fi, and give us something where – there's enough originality and new characters and such in it that anything could happen, and we actually have some real suspense and real enjoyment of seeing the highs and lows and where it goes. Because with Clone Wars, the choice of using all those existing characters really hampered some of the dynamism they could get out of their storytelling, I think. They could have easily created a couple new Jedi just for that series. You know, give us like six of them, but by the end of the series, we're down to two. <laughs> And then you can blame Zane Carrick for killing all of them. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, as for the Chuck Wendig thing, now for those who are who, who are kind of on the fence and, and trying to figure out, you know, the whole Chuck Wendig situation, um, a couple of things that I grab, a couple of tweets that stand out. Um, what he said as his rationale once he got the boot uh, from Marvel was, "Today I got the call. I'm fired because of the negativity and vulgarity that my tweets bring. Seriously." That's what Mark, the editor, said. It was too much politics, too much vulgarity, too much negativity on my part. So he's saying that essentially um, he was over the top on social media, and that was what drew the attention of the higher-ups who finally said, you know what, we can't have this guy essentially out there representing us or associated with us if this is what he's going to do. And Lava said, well, is this because of you know, what he said about how if you didn't like Aftermath, it was because you were a homophobe, because it had Sinjir as a gay character in it, uh, and that sort of thing. Is that what this is? Like, what what was it that he did that was actually so combative and so over the top? Uh, what appears to have been the straw that broke the camel's back is that – or the uh, EOP's back, I guess? Mm. Is that after the uh, Brett Kavanaugh confirmation uh, went through, the yeah. single most political – 
um, polarized confirmation process for a Supreme Court justice that the U.S. has seen in, if not decades, possibly ever. Yeah, um, yeah. You had him tweeting saying, uh, they can eat S feces, word, um, mm-hmm. all of them. They can eat a boot covered in same thing. Winter is coming, you callous F necks. You prolapsed a-holes, you grotesque monsters, you racists and rapists and wretched abusers, you vengeful petty horrors. And then makes a, a comment basically saying, you know, shove civility, right? Side note, some of you will tell me to be civil because our rage and scorn will fuel the other side, but F that double standard in both its ears. Um, so he's basically raging in a way that rightly or wrongly, whether you agree with it or not, is going to, from an objective standpoint, is going to put off a substantial portion of the readership who is of the, the, the opposite opinion about what happened with the hearing, right? Mm-hmm. Or what happened with Kavanaugh and all of that. Uh, in essence, he's alienating the right, so to speak. And it was done in such a profanity-laden type of way. I mean, prolapsed a-holes? I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um, not <laughs> sure why I would have ever come up with the phrase prolapsed a-holes as an insult. Um, and you can tell he's a writer. Um, but he, but this, he, he'd always been very confrontational and over the top and offensive to many in the way that he interacted with people on Facebook. I, I always used to say that there's sort of the Chuck and there's Chuck Windig. Chuck Windig is, seems to be a nice guy whenever you meet him in person for like signings yep. and whatnot, but the, the Chuck is kind of like his, you know, quasi, not really anonymous, but keyboard warrior type of thing where he's out there offending because he's on Twitter as opposed to in person. Um, we had a name of that title was what's up with the Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was what, what, that was what it was. And it's one of those things. It's a perfect example of, I mean, it's, it's, this, it's essentially a Roseanne S kind of thing, right? Um, he is someone who was very vocal and very active in interacting with readers of the books and answering questions and whatnot. And this is his official Twitter and so forth that it reached a point where it was sort of a, well, wait a second, if he is seen as a representative of us and reflective of us and we us hiring him to write more stuff is seen as reflective of us approving of what he says and does, then does that mean we need to cut ties? It's sort of where the, the business decision came in there. I'm kind of surprised that it took that long. Um, right. But, you know, it, it, it finally, like I said, it was, was a straw that broke the camel's back, which means there were previous straws before that last one, of course. But um, – I think that what it's going to come down to is sort of a what was the plan for those stories? Because, you know, if you are a writer for this kind of stuff, then you are not the one who actually owns the concepts that you are entering into the Star Wars saga. Um, you are creating stuff that is then owned by Lucasfilm or whomever, um, and they get to decide how it gets used. So even if some of these concepts for like the Acolytes of the Beyond were things that were pitched originally by him, theoretically, it's owned by Lucasfilm, unless Marvel's contracts work very differently than Dark Horses did, which would allow them to still pick it up and have somebody else write the same thing. So it's kind of one of those things that it may not be the same ideas. It may not be written the same way that Wendig would have written it or gone the same direction that Wendig would have gone. But assuming they want a backstory for the Acolytes of the Beyond and have any plan at all, which doesn't always seem to be the case, have any plan at all for what the, that background actually is, then theoretically somebody else should be able to write that same story in some form and give us the background, whether Chuck Wendig is there or not. It just may not have a Chuck Wendig spin on whatever it happens to be. It's it's interesting that 
you know, we sort of associate certain writers or starting to associate certain writers with certain concepts as opposed to just characters. Um, that takes a while for that to start to happen. And now we're finally starting to get to that point of this new continuity that, yeah, some writers are being, you know, assumed to be writing about certain things, not just certain people, uh, certain characters and whatnot. But, you know, I don't see his departure as a huge thing in relation to um, changes to the stories. I don't think it's a huge loss from a writing standpoint with the series, but that's just because I wasn't a big fan of the way that uh, Aftermath was written Mm -hmm. in terms of the the style of it, the present tense style. Uh, And I wasn't all that fond of some of his present tense. (laughs) And I wasn't a big fan of some of the comic stuff that he was doing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everything that isn't good needs to have the person dumped either. I mean, well, that's the side of things that I find interesting too, is it, it, just seems to be marvel let him go i mean we don't know at this point if lucasfilm in general is done with him if delray is ever going to tap him again i mean he definitely his tweets were like oh it's definitely just marvel it's just marvel and yet you know lucasfilm isn't rushing down to his door to be like hey but chuck don't worry we're going to give you this book because we just think you're so awesome we're going to put you back up on that pedestal who cares what marvel thinks like you know, yeah. Marvel's in the Lucasfilm house, too. So if Marvel made that decision, then is Lucasfilm going to honor that across the boards and say, we're done with Chuck? I think it's interesting that Marvel was the one that did it because when he was you when he was giving backlash to fans over criticism, it wasn't because of something he had done for Marvel. It was because of stuff that he had done for Del Rey. Mm-hmm. It was purely his persona, his attitude towards non-work-related stuff. On Twitter, not even non-Marvel related, but non-Star Wars related at all, they got to the point where they're like, wow, this guy is building himself essentially a reputation for this kind of thing. We don't want to associate ourselves with that, Um, which again probably makes it more analogous to the Roseanne example than to like the Pablo Hidalgo example Uh, or even to the uh, the example of the voice actors for Leia because he was so prolific and and did interact with fans so much on that particular account constantly and was very vocal about it and very – I'm haughty about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. So interesting, though, um, that, yeah, that it was Marvel. I don't think Del Rey is going to bring him back. I would think I that Del Rey bringing him back would cause such a backlash at this point from those who agreed with him being fired or being dumped um, that that would be an issue. But also, I don't think you'd want the internal strife over that. But there's a part of me that sits back and says, you know, Marvel says they made this decision. But these were Star Wars comics that were dumped, and most decisions about the creative process behind Star Wars comics have to get approved up the food chain, right? right? Um, Like Jonathan Rensler had to approve my little dinky story in Star Wars Tales years ago, even though Jeremy Barlow was the associate editor over that particular uh, story, and Randy Stradley was over the entire product line for Dark Horse. It still had to go through Lucasfilm. So canceling a project theoretically should have some relation to that. So I got to wonder if this is Marvel saying, you know, this was our decision, but they got some input from Lucasfilm ahead of time. But it could be a non-issue with Del Rey, right? I mean, Del Rey hadn't announced anything with there being any more Chuck Wendig Star Wars novels coming. And we've seen Star Wars authors come in, write books, and then never come back again anyway as they just go to different writers. So it could be that just for Del Rey, they don't have to say you're never coming back. They just have to not invite him back. And it has the same effect without them taking any of the public backlash from Wendig fans for essentially doing the same thing that Marvel did, right? They can just say, okay, you had your books, you know, good on you, we're done, 
without ever having to say it's because of this, because this right. is work for hire. They have to invite you to the party, and if you don't get invited back, that's not because they're taking away something you were entitled to. It's because they're exercising their decision-making process that they are entitled to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. But Chuck Wendig leaving, I don't know. I, I wonder what sometimes goes through some people's heads in terms of that um, because it it makes me wonder, like, if you're going to go on that kind of profanity-laden extreme blasting, you know, half the readership or something, uh, at least as far as your political perspective versus their political perspective often is, don't you kind of know in this environment that you're sticking your head in the lion's mouth, you so to speak? Think. Don't you know you're kind of putting yourself on the chopping block and daring the person to swing the axe before you can get back up? I wonder to what degree any of that even went through his his mind. Or there hasn't been enough either Marvel or Star Wars related instances of things like that happening in this environment that we've been talking about, that he didn't have any cautionary tales to look to to guide his own decisions, that instead he became the cautionary tale that others will look at. Um, I don't know, but do I think that it's going to wind up causing us not to get the story of the background of the Acolytes of the Beyond? If that is something that is considered important background for Star Wars fans to know, someone else will tell that story uh, and hopefully tell it in a way that is part of whatever grand plan there is for those. If there is one, and I've said before, I am not convinced at all anymore that there is a grand plan for Star Wars. Yeah. Um, it seems a lot of seat of their pants, do whatever you're going to do. But uh, I guess we'll see once uh, episode nine is out and we're in sort of an open field for new uh, uh, Star Wars films. Although, wait a second, let's do the math here. That'll be episode one, two, three, or episodes one, two, three of a trilogy, plus two different A Star Wars Story films, right? Yeah. So when episode three or episode, three, episode nine comes out and finishes out that trilogy, whatever the next film is that gets released, that's the one that actually ties the number of Disney launched Star Wars films with Lucas Star Wars films. If we're talking about oh, live action yeah. and the very next one after that means that we have more star live action Star Wars films under Disney than we ever had under Lucas. And so you got to wonder time. how that transition is going to go. Boy, right. No. Yeah. So, so you know, with qualms on saying it's bad versus not saying the same for the movie, I think for me, it's weird because, like, I've always felt like with all the movies, there are things about each one that I don't like, and there are things about each one that I do like. Um, and so I, I think I'm a little more forgiving with the films in that regard. Like, I, I don't come down on them as hard. And I think the other side of it is the movies feel longer, so I'm more forgiving as well. Like, a comic is really short. So, like, you know, you really want to be nailing all the things you can nail. You know, if your art's off in the comic, that's that's going to be major. You're going to feel that throughout the whole thing. Uh, and, and, like, the movies, like, they never really have something that's – I have felt like they've dropped the ball from start to end. Like the only thing that I'm having an issue with movie wise right now is the portrayal of Luke Skywalker and Leia and Han. I really did not like that direction. And I think that's like the biggest thorn in my side for the the sequel trilogy is that, that that's the one aspect of those movies that I don't like. But I have that saving grace that I really enjoyed what they've done with the new generation of characters. Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely hooked more on that. Uh, you know, and then when we talk about uh, the, the, the Game of Thrones guys, I, I'm in the KOTOR era. I want to see some of that. Um, you know, you think also about with uh, Wendig dropping those one characters. Think about the Knights of Ren and the Prime Jedi and stuff. Like, there are things that I hope we'll see come up down the road again. So, like, with the, the Game of Thrones guys, if they go KOTOR era, 
maybe we'll see some, you know, the Knights of Ren were an older aura, uh, order or something back in that time frame and that Kylo kind of like resurrected that or something. Or maybe we'll see the Prime Jedi. I, I'm hoping that we see something more Mandalorian, Sith and Jedi based. Uh, you know, you think about Legends and those were the three powerhouses of those older eras, especially uh, Rebels. We've got kind of like a promise of something of that with the Battle of Malachor. Maybe we could see more of that come out uh, and, you know, and they could tie that in with the Mandalorian series where they talk about that and seed more things for the other show. Like if they decide to go and make that like a major plot of an old Republic era, you know, make the, the Siege of Malachor and the Fall of the Mandalorians like like one of the major backstops. You could seed things like that in the Mandalorian thing of references to things, just like we had with Rebels referencing the Battle of Malachor. We could have new events being referenced in the Mandalorian. Like, you know, like uh, this clan here was major players in that battle, and we've never heard of this clan before. And now, you know, now we're like, who? Well, what about this clan? And what about Clan Dishthink? You know, turns out Clan Dishthink was huge. You know, well, let's bring on Clan Dishthink, man. I'm ready. Uh, and then I think about, you know, like the aspect of the Sith, you know, think about the fact that everything we know about the Sith right now in canon is very much like the Bothans in canon. You know, they they may not even be the same species. They may never have been a species. They may have just only been an order of like the Jedi, just a separate order or, or a schism in the order completely. Like there's so many angles they could play with with that that we still don't know about that I would love to see them get into some of you know, the foresight of things and the order and how the order split, especially if we end up not getting Jedi in the future. If Ray doesn't build a new Jedi order, which I'm desperately hoping is the case, but if they don't, this is your, your best opportunity to really flesh that out and give us what the Jedi were meant to be before we see them as what their failure was at, under Yoda's leadership. I mean, you know, I always thought that those Jedi were great, but technically that was the flawed Jedi. They were more warriors than what they should have been. So let's see what they should have been. Let's get to that. Like there's so much opportunity by going into the past. And I've said that before, you know, you could take a world like Alderaan, go back 2,500,000 years, tell a story where Alderaan gets decimated and, you know, they quarantine the world. And for, for that time, from that event on, the world was basically quarantined until maybe like a thousand years before we see a new hope and they start repopulating the planet. And that's what we see later. Like there's so much opportunity there to do some planetary shakeup and still have things get back to the place they were. You know, I, I, that opportunity for storytelling is so vibrant that not going there to me feels like a mistake. And then you think about the fact that with Legends, right, a, a, a story arc that's telling an alternate tale of the saga starts, spins out of the films and stuff. And some of the best eras are the 140 years in the future with Legacy or, you know, going back in the past with the KOTOR era or going back to Dawn of the Jedi and stuff where you've got that freedom. You know, again, that freedom, these new characters and stuff. And just, you know, going out and setting up what it is and then finding ways to tie that into things later. Like I that opportunity is so just out there and ready to be exploited. And the Game of Thrones guys, I think if you're going to have anyone that's really going to take the reins and really ride this pony and create some world building, they definitely put it in the right hands in that aspect. I'm looking forward to that a lot. So I, I, I'm hoping we see some Prime Jedi. Um, you know, I think that would be a really good aspect. If you find a way maybe to tie that into the Knights of Ren, like maybe the Knights of Ren were kind of like the Padawans to the Prime Jedi. Like maybe, you know, the term Jedi was like the Jedi Master. You know, instead of like a Grand Master, they were just the Jedi. Like everyone else was smaller. They were the Knights and the Padawans and stuff. Like there's so much stuff that they could do. And the fact that the canon is re 
reset so much backstory that they could take things in new directions. That's where I'm with you, where I really wish we had someone that had an idea of what to do. I, 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 I mean, I, I get it. Lucas built a great empire and a great universe on creating things as he went. But I don't think that that's the recipe for overall success with this IP. You know, I mean, that's the one thing the New Jedi Order for me was successful with was taking and creating a, a mini Bible of this is where we're going. This is a story we're doing and getting so many people on the same page. We need to get back to that so we can continue to push that forward and get away from the, you know, quantity over quality. You know, I, I, I want to get back to quality over quantity. You know, get back to that where everyone's on the same page and they're telling good stories. Don't get to a Marvel world where the annual comes in and it's telling a story that has nothing to do with the time frame that it's at because that writer does not know what was going on when the original series wrote during that time frame. Get away from that kind of storytelling. Get back to the storytelling that's locked in, that's continuing to tell new stuff. You know, uh, like when we got to, even though it was for me an unsatisfactory conclusion, but when you get to the invasion comic, right, <laughs> where you finally go in the comic story of what happened in the New Jedi Order because we've let the dust settle and we're gonna in, we're gonna do it right, and then they they drop the ball. But they they had such a great opportunity. It set such a great. I mean, I still want to know what the hell was growing inside Finn, but. We never got there, but we could have. Yeah, we were building towards that. And I think that that's something with going back into the past that we can really utilize the hell out of. So uh, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, no matter how you get there, they'll be sure to like our Facebook page. It's literally the best way to interact with us. We've got that Beyonders at Ponder group. We've got all sorts of stuff going on. It's our own home one, if you will. We uh, Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. But if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or if you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention your Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starsport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to what they're all about. Our sponsors, they have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe, the Canon Universe, or any other genre without being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that in the aftermath of the original, one last time, and see it again for the first time, and every saga has a beginning, the Game of Thrones film will have the tagline, If you can't keep it in your pants, keep it in the family. From the creators of Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, this the Infinity's Luke and Leia tale they could tell. <laughs> oh, gosh.
In honor of the president who just passed, may I say, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs>